Hello, it's Matt and Becky here from Local Zero. Just a quick note to say before the episode starts that from April 2024, Local Zero will be looking for some new funding to keep it going. We never imagined when we started three years ago that we'd rack up tens of thousands of listens across 130 countries and with a website hosting over 80 episodes. We've also met and worked with some incredible people, including Chris Stark, Hannah Ritchie, Jim Ski, Hugo Tacom, and so many more. And we've been able to showcase so many amazing local climate initiatives from all over the UK and far beyond. But sadly, keeping the pod going costs money. If you or your organisation would like to partner up with the pod as we move into an exciting new chapter, then do reach out to us. You can contact us via our email, localzeropod at gmail.com. That's localzeropod at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can contact us on X, formerly Twitter, at localzeropod or on LinkedIn, direct to Matt Hannon or Rebecca Ford. Finally, to help us in our quest to secure funding, we want to hear positive stories from listeners about how the pod has influenced your life and your work. And we hope to do a very special episode on this too. So please help us continue the fight against climate change and bring local climate action to doorsteps across the world. Thanks for listening. Now back to the pod. We're able to use that powerful battery to soak up cheap wholesale energy overnight and cheap periods through the day when the wind is high and so on early mornings and things and then also export extra energy back out to the grid from the power wall. Heating, that can be trickier. We're very used to having very quick and easy control of our heating via a thermostat and making a shift to heat pumps, uh, that's a different way of thinking about heating and it operates in a different sort of way. Hello and welcome to Local Zero with Becky and Matt. If you caught our last episode, you'll have heard us talking about the importance of demand when it comes to delivering net zero, or in other words, how our behaviour impacts our demand and therefore the supply of energy. Yes, so this week we're going to take a closer look at energy use in the home. We've got two great guests with us this week to chat about all things energy demand. And joining us today is Sarah Darby, Associate Professor in the Environmental Change Institute at the University of Oxford. We're also joined by Phil Steele, Future Technologies Evangelist at Octopus Energy. What an amazing title that is. And remember, do get in touch with us on Twitter if you want to reach out, talk to us anything about the show, share any thoughts you've got. So if you haven't already, do find and follow us at Local Zero Pod to get involved with the discussions there. And we'd also love to hear from you by email as well. So send any longer thoughts you have to localzeropod at gmail.com. So thanks to those of you who have emailed feedback, uh, much of it positive uh, for instance, Chris Kimber, thank you to you. Uh, he emailed us the other day saying, I'm a regular listener and just wanted to say the recent episode on energy demand with Lorraine and Nick was excellent. Probably, in my opinion, the best yet. Yeah, and while we're talking about that last episode, thank you to Victoria Penman too. She tweeted us to say, excellent listening. Today's favourite takeaway is that it's okay to dial up and dial down your individual effort and that we don't have to be perfect all the time. Thanks to Victoria for that. And yes, I am certainly not perfect all the time. So very, very good point to think about. 
So, Matt, we're, we're Fraserless this week. We are. Just the two of us again. I feel like I've lost my right arm, yeah. <laughs> we are without our, our anchor. But um, no, Fraser is uh, busy. I think, well, I say busy, he's on, on leave, I'd say. So a well-earned break after a busy few few weeks. But we've got an absolute cracker of an episode lined up. And it's one that is close to your heart, Becky. Uh, one that you've tangled with and we've spoken about in previous episodes, which is about shifting your energy demand and to do so for some kind of reward. So I don't know, for those who maybe haven't listened to the previous episodes, is it worth us bringing people up to speed? How was it for you? What did you do? Was it worthwhile? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think if, if you haven't, do listen to the episode that we just released with Nick Eyre and Lorraine Whitmarsh. Absolutely amazing talking about the concept of energy demand more broadly and why energy demand is so important for the net zero future. Today's episode is about, I guess, one very focused element around energy demand. And as you say, Matt, something that is very, very close to my heart after I signed up to participate in the octopus's uh, demand response trial earlier in the year. An octopus guinea pig. Uh, yeah, an octopus. I don't like to think, yeah, guinea pig. I'm not sure how I feel about being a guinea pig. But no, it was it was really interesting for me. So octopus, octopus energy had this very interesting trial where they offered um, customers, I, I think probably you had to have something to qualify, like being on a smart meter or so on. I mean, you were told if you opted into the trial, we were told about a day in advance, sometimes a bit more around when when the electricity grid was going to be dirty. So when they were expecting fewer renewables to be on the grid, maybe more demand resulting in that energy coming from dirtier sources and so during that time period and I, it was usually about two hours you had to turn down your energy consumption reduce your energy consumption and if you reduced by a certain amount and I, for the life of me now this is how long ago this trial was, it was maybe just my brain it was, yeah. it was quite a lot if you reduced by that amount you know you got this reward of uh getting your energy from that time period free yeah. and i have to say i think there were five or six different events so mm. different days on which we had to see this i was only successful in one of those days it was really really hard <laughs> still big gold star because <laughs> it's not easy and, and it, i should say you know i mean octopus isn't the only kind of company driving at this but um I, you know on their agile tariff i do know that there are rewards also for consuming energy at the right times on their agile tariff energy prices will be lowest at times of greatest surplus and lowest demand so you'll get it cheap. Also, they will actually do, um, I think it's plunge pricing, uh, where they will pay you money wow. to consume power. Can you believe that? In, the, in this day and age, in an energy crisis with bills about £2,800 2, a year, paid to consume power. But this is it, Matt, isn't it? And this is how this is how things are going to shift as we start to see more renewables coming online. Because, you know, when the wind is blowing, when the sun is shining and when demand is low, we have a surplus of electricity and we do not have the storage to be able to store all of that in batteries somewhere mm. to be able to use it later. So we are moving from a world where, oh, okay, demand was higher. Let's just, you know, throw a bit more coal into the power station to a world in which we need to think much more about how how we're using energy and how that's lining up with yeah. when that energy is being generated. So I can see why this is happening. But yeah. here's yeah. the thing. I found it so hard to shift my consumption. And I work in this field. I I know what I should be doing. You know, I know a lot of these things. I don't really understand. So one of the days when we were successful, we reduced our demand 
by 80%. And I have absolutely no idea what we did to get to that. Mm. And the other days where we weren't successful, it wasn't like we weren't trying. We were trying. We just obviously didn't hit hit the nail on the head. Yeah. So, or, or your routine didn't kind yeah. of allow for it. Exactly. So yeah. it's very hard to understand what it is that, you know, what it is that I needed to do. And moving forward, if we see more tariffs like this, what it is that people need to do to actually create that change. And, and, and not all demand is is alike so we were talking about this just before the episode recording now you know there's some types of of if we talk about electricity consumption here that are much more flexible than others so charging your ev mm-hmm. is pretty flexible um and also not as maybe routinized if you've got a 12 hour window to charge it at home not no not everybody has a a, a home charger um but if we were talking about taking a shower. Now, actually, that is pretty flexible if you think about it. You've still got the same window, but it's it's highly routinized. Like you, you get up in the morning, it's part of your routine. You hop in the sh- some people or in the evening. And so I think there's also the perception of what is flexible demand and what isn't. But also when you're looking at the kind of quantum, the, the, the kind of the, the, the total amount of power that these behaviors consume, you know, electric shower is actually pretty energy hungry, but you're charging your EV if it's 60 kilowatt hour battery that's huge chunk if you can chuck that in the early hours of the morning versus you know at six o'clock when everybody's got their, their dinner on the go that's a big win um, and something that i know octopus are, are really really keen to crack but you bring up a really interesting point there with the shower mat and actually this is also part and parcel of moving so like let's take gas out the equation for a minute but part and parcel of moving from instant power so those instant electric showers to having a heat pump, heat up or hot water tank. Because if you had the latter, if you have that hot water tank, you actually can heat it up outside of those hours. It could be heated at night, it could stay hot. And you could then take your shower when you wanted to using the water that's already been heated at the optimal time. And this for me is where it really gets into some of the nitty gritty of the challenges here, because let's look at the technologies that are gonna be required to allow you to take advantage of these tariffs and just who is going to be able to do that. And and to me, it feels like these are potentially tariffs that might on the surface seem like they're open to everyone. Yeah. But actually, when it comes down to it, only certain people may be able to really take advantage of them. Well, I, we'll get into that, I'm sure. But the, I think there's this kind of Goldilocks question of what's the perfect blend of um, needing to adapt your demand mm-hmm. or needing the kind of technological and software and business model innovations to enable you to not have to change your demand. So, you know, your point there around, uh, you know, if, if, if we live in a average house, but you're on a time of use tariff where it's cheaper at night, the time to shower is between half 11 at night and four in the morning, give or take. No. Okay, so unless you set your alarm, right, it ain't going to happen. No. Whereas if you've got some storage device, whether that's electricity, like battery storage, or as you say, kind of hot water storage, some other other vector, that you can store that power, that energy, that heat, and have your shower in the morning or in the evening, whenever you like. Now, that's not to say that tech is always the fix. We are still going to have to change mm-hmm. how we do things. And that's the big question what behaviors do we need to change and why and what stuff can kind of stay the same you know can we still eat dinner at 6 30 with the kids you know i'd like to <laughs> i get very hungry <laughs> <laughs> me too me too yeah that was actually and that was a really hard one for me and, and in fact i have a i have a horrible feeling that on the day that i was successful in reducing my electricity demand it was because i 
cooked on gas rather than using the oven. I thought you were going to say because nobody ate dinner, but yeah, I'm glad. I'm <laughs> glad you said the children. <laughs> still served up. That's good. Well, I think it's probably time to bring our guests in and actually, you know, put them under the spotlight and find out a little bit more about what we can all do and how to drive things forward. So let's bring them in. Absolutely. Yep. My name is Philip Steele. I am the Future Technologies Evangelist at Octopus Energy. That effectively means a global R&D role. So I look at a lot of innovation, experimentation, what we're doing with new tariffs, what sort of tech is going on, how the industry is changing things. I'm Sarah Darby and for many years now I've been researching at the Environmental Change Institute at Oxford into energy demand. I guess my interest in demand response dates back to when I started being part of the evaluation team for the smart meter rollout for this country. Since then, I've been taking a keen interest in smart energy development and particularly how they look from the customer end. So welcome both. Uh, absolutely fantastic to have you here. Uh, and again, you know, links into uh, the last episode we ran, which was looking much more at the kind of the, the broader concepts of energy demand and, and how things are evolving. But we're, we're looking specifically today around how we can start to change the timing and type of our energy demand in particular, not only to, to tackle the climate crisis, but obviously the energy crisis, which is which is hitting everybody's pockets. Um, but I just wanted to begin to set the scene, Sarah, if, if we may, about uh, explaining what energy demand in the home looks like and how this has evolved over the last few years, if at all. Well, for most of us, energy demand in the home is about heating and water heating more than anything else. So the space heating, maybe 60% of the energy demand, the water heating, another 15 or so. And then there's all the electrical kit that we use and the lighting on top of that. Absolutely. So so that that's the breakdown. Have we seen those shares change or or even maybe the, maybe the absolute kind of share and, and total energy that we consume has remained broadly constant, but have we seen changes in the patterns of, of, of that energy use? Um, as appliances, electrical appliances have been getting more efficient, um, so the use per appliance, and particularly with LED lighting, the use for lighting has has gone down per appliance. On the other hand, quite often we're buying more of these and we have more on standby. So those two things can balance each other out a bit. For heating, the demand has also tended to fall in newer buildings which are built to higher efficiency standards and it's fallen when people have insulated their homes. So that overall we have actually seen we have seen domestic energy demand fall since 2005 for both gas and electricity. And Phil, you know, Octopus will be all over this. You'll have data coming out of your ears, uh, uh, particularly customers that you have on the books. Uh, and you know, Octopus, um, still a, a relatively new company in the grand scheme of things, uh, but even in the short, relatively short period of time you've been around, have you seen changes in the way that your customers are consuming energy and, and even other customers more broadly? Yes, um, well, we've been around since 2016, so we are still a new company, but we do have a lot of data that we're gathering because from smart meters, we get the half hour data, which we build customers on some of the smart tariffs like Agile and Go, uh, Intelligent Octopus, Go Faster, Tesla tariff and so on. The main change that we saw, I mean, you could, you could go back and look at LED bulbs. So you, you take a 40 watt incandescent bulb and we're down to, down to about four watts or so or a 100 watt light bulb and it's like a seven or eight watt 
um, equivalents. That certainly changed. That change probably happened quite a few years ago. It's, you know, most people are now onto the, the LED saving, like energy saving bulb and things. But the change that's happening is actually electric vehicles, and as we move to um, heat pumps as well. So although you, you you can see that the energy consumption has dropped over the last few years, um, smallish decline, not a huge decline, but actually the the estimates are that we are going to double our electricity consumption over the next few years, running up to 2050, because of electric vehicles and electrification of heat. Anecdotally, my home might not be the best representative. Sarah mentioned that you, you do need really well insulated homes, and that's the other change on this. But our home is poorly insulated. We put an air source heat pump in, and our electricity has quadrupled. Although we have an EV, so a quarter of that may be the electric car. I've not done the breakdown to, to be able to break out that difference of the electric vehicle on, on it. But our electricity has quadrupled. But we're off gas, so we have no gas meter and no. Uh, gas consumption anymore for the heating and the hot water. Yeah, and of course, you've got to fold in the oil, uh, diesel or petrol consumption that you would normally have with your car, which may have been accounted for slightly differently. And now we're actually, many of us are, are adding that onto our, our electricity. But in fact, I've just had, had my folks up for the weekend. They charged their car and I looked at my smart meter and went, ooh, <laughs> well, that's a lot of money. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's that's kind of moved from the petrol forecourt uh to, to my house. Yes, yeah, so. So it might still be a, a tenth the cost to uh, fuel that vehicle. Oh, absolutely. Well, what's really starting to interest me, and and I've heard, I've heard this mentioned a few times, just in the you know in the sh- in the short chat so far, is the concept of energy efficiency, and you know needing our homes to be more efficient to enable the electrification, but also the fact that efficiency has a big impact on our total demand, and. Before the two of you joined us, Matt and I were just having a chat about about our energy use. And, and one of the things we started talking about was actually, it's not just about efficiency anymore. It's also about when, when you're using energy. So using, you know, a certain amount of energy at, I don't know, 7, 8, 9 a.m. in the morning is not necessarily the same as using that energy in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day. Because as we are seeing the, you know, decarbonisation, more more solar panels, more uh, wind turbines, you know, we're starting to see very, very different sorts of kind of the way in which our energy system is operating. And, and this is really kind of fascinating to me that it's not just about energy efficiency in the home is one thing, but energy efficiency, once you start to think about, you know, the whole system, the whole of the UK, that that starts to bring in a very different dynamic to the conversation. And um, Phil, you just mentioned a few of Octopus's different tariffs. I mean, gosh, I couldn't get my head around all of them, but I'm assuming that they're all different because they're all offering some sort of price differential at different times of the day. I mean, how important is that as a a company uh, to be really thinking about when your customers are using their energy? Yep, actually those tariffs, the, the, the beginning of those tariffs was actually to try and engage consumers in how energy is generated, when it's generated, and how we consume it and to encourage things like the uptake of electric vehicles. So the, the GO tariff was one of the first. That is, it's a bit like an Economy 7 tariff, which has been around for decades, but it's got a very low price. It's currently 7.5 pence between half midnight and half four in the morning, and it's perfect for charging an electric car. And then it's a, a flat rate through the rest of the day that's similar to our um, flat rate tariffs and so on. So that is saying to customers, look, the cost of energy on the grid is much lower overnight. Let's use that to charge up electric cars. There's less demand and all the rest of it. And customers have you know, lapped it up. That is an extremely popular tariff. The Agile tariff kind of takes it to the other extreme and tracks the wholesale market in every half hour of the day and is repriced every day. So at 4 p.m. this afternoon, the wholesale market will set what the wholesale rates are for each half hour for tomorrow. And we publish those as the Agile tariff 
tonight at 4pm for tomorrow's 48 half hour time periods. Now that varies and it can be from 12, 10, 12 pence up to its cap of 35 pence. Customers on that tariff are then either looking at the published data, so 48 uh, price points for the next day and saying, oh, I'm going to charge the car there, I'm going to use the dishwasher there, I'll use the washing machine then. Or they connect stuff up with the API and can automate stuff off that tariff. Now that, just a, a word of warning for anybody that's listening, depending on what month or year you're listening to this, the Agile tariff has, the wholesale market has been high since um, September 2021. Uh, through to now in uh, June 2022. So we're often reaching that 35 pence cap more half hours through the day than we would really like. But that's just a reflection of what the wholesale market is is doing. Sarah, a lot of what Octopus are doing and what Phil has just outlined there is predicated on the idea that people can shift their energy demand, particularly electricity demand, Phil, I, I might add. And if as we start to electrify other types of energy demand, Sarah pointed out, space heating, water heating, once that becomes electrified, we are really talking about electricity. So, Sarah, from from your years of research on this, you know, how easy is that? Are some behaviours easier to shift, or some demands easier to shift than others? Um, certainly, if we had an electric vehicle, we'd be on uh, the octopus. You know, we'd be on a tariff like the octopus one, which really seems like a no-brainer that you'd charge your car in the middle of the night. Of course, you'd want to do that, and uh, it's an easy one to do. In fact, we don't have a car now. We joined a car club instead but (laughs) if we had we'd do that um for heating that can be trickier we're very used to having very quick and easy control of our heating via a thermostat um with gas central heating most of us and making a shift to heat pumps uh that's a different way of thinking about heating and it operates in a different sort of way and there you have quite a big challenge i think in getting people used to the idea that it's it works a heat pump will work better if you have it on steadily all the time and arranging that particularly i think for a lot of people at night time so that they're not too hot because what you really really don't want is an enormous surge of demand on the grid early in the morning as people are getting up which is what we see with gas at the moment so handling that is going to be quite tricky and and if they if your heat pump is is noisy as some of them unfortunately are for, for some people then having that on overnight may be a bit of a problem too so there's quite an adjustment to do there i think with hot water managing that and timing that that ought to be fairly manageable. Washing machines, that's a nice, easy one. Um, yeah, we got a new machine recently and I can set that so it goes on in the middle of the night. Some things are very inflexible. If you want to watch the telly, you probably want to watch it now. You're not going to defer that because of the price <laughs> of electricity. And uh, if, you, if you're hungry, then you want to cook now. Uh, again, you're not going to wait. So th- those those are harder. Phil, is this is this something that's being borne out by your own experiences in customer research, or, or, or are you seeing something different? No, no, no. It's true. It's true. I mean, the, the, the heat pump will consume say one and a half to two kilowatts of energy at a time, so one one and a half to two kilowatt hours. This is where with a with a heat pump you do need to look at the insulation because you're running a heat pump at a lower temperature than you would with a gas boiler. So typically the water flowing through the radiators is kind of forty to forty five degrees versus 55, 60 degrees with a, with a gas boiler. So with a heat pump, sometimes the radiators need to be increased. So you've got a larger surface area to emit the equivalent of um, heat energy out of it. 
and therefore a heat pump will warm a home slower than a gas combi boiler would. And therefore, if the insulation is poor, then you may not be able to keep up with the loss of heat um, when having a heat pump. So a heat pump insulation will always start off with a thorough survey of the insulation, the thermal requirements of the rooms, the thermal output of the radiators and so on. With a super insulated home, you are going to be able to get some flexibility from the heat pump. And so try to avoid too much energy consumption in that first morning period. And again, in the four till seven peak period in the evening as well. But the heat pump will also manage the hot water as well. Uh, so the heat pump can um, increase its output temperature to 55 degrees or so to fill a hot water tank. That is probably more efficient, but certainly it is more efficient than an electric immersion um, heater. And you can set a schedule. So you warm that hot water tank overnight, just as you would with charging an electric car. Uh, I actually start to refer to a heat pump as not as a consumer device, but it's a generator device. It's generating energy. It's energy, energy generation. You're consuming that one and a half to two kilowatts, but actually the output is three to four times that. So you're actually producing energy in your, in your home. So that makes, that's why it's more efficient to use a heat pump to, ho to heat hot water than an electric immersion element in the, in the hot water tank. Really fascinating hearing you talk about, uh, both of you actually talking about the, the switch to heat pumps, because we know that this is something that's got to be done um, to meet net zero. And and I was actually just reflecting back on my days when I lived in New Zealand. So uh, so I when I first moved there, the heat source that I had was a, um, a wood-burning stove. So that was it. That was the only heat in the home and there was no insulation. And so we got used to a, a home that was either really, really hot because we couldn't tune the temperature or freezing and then eventually we lived in a home with a heat pump but the heat pump that I had was one of those ones that's just kind of stuck on the wall and just blows out hot air so very different to the conversation we're having now but what I find fascinating is that we often talk about this as if it's like well changing technology or changing behavior and what what I'm hearing is that actually it's not just about changing the technology because and you need the behavior change to go hand in hand with that right there's an education component if people get a heat pump but then try and use it in the same way that they've been typically using their heating it's not going to be as effective and so I know you've done um particularly with some of the the projects and I'm not sure if with the local energy Oxfordshire project you're doing this but I know there's been a, a whole lot of work that Oxford University has been involved in where people are switching to to these very um new sorts of technologies like are people adapt do you find do people find it easy to adapt to them is it quite a big educational component are people challenged with the shift in behavior or is it something that comes fairly naturally to them I think there is quite a big educational component to make it work well. The project that where I had most to do with that was actually not heat pumps, but it was smart storage heaters. So they're a kind of step along the road towards heat pumps, you might say. And there we found the role of the installers was really, really important, that they would tell the customer what was going to happen at install before installation, at installation, and also a visit, you know, two or three weeks afterwards. How are you getting on? How's it working for you? And and some advice there was really important in in helping helping it work for the system as well as for the customer, really. And we we are now finding that um, yes, in Oxfordshire, with installing heat pumps again. So training installers to be good communicators really important. And also that people like housing managers, for example, if you're putting heat pumps in social housing, again, you know, that they know the ropes, they know what sort of changes are needed. 
and and can help guide people through that and 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 do it over a period of time that seems really important yeah absolutely and and i guess this kind of goes hand in hand with some of these then being able to tap into the advantages of these innovative tariffs but i do want to touch back on the on this tariff component so anybody that's listened to local zero in an ongoing capacity will have heard me my kind of excitement and then my downfalls as i took part in the octopus energy demand response trial and i was i was so excited to be invited to take part because after researching you know along these lines for so many years i got the chance to actually to look at it from the other side and then that first email came into my inbox inviting me to the the the, the turndown period the next day and of course I clicked yes I'm opting in I'm doing this and then I failed drastically failed did not manage to reduce my demand I don't know how much I failed by actually but I did but then on the second attempt I did manage to reduce my demand by something like a whopping 80% and I have to this day I have no idea what I did to make that work the second time or to mean that it failed the first time um and I should say you know I failed on every other occasion that I tried so the failure was dead the success was the outlier for sure but um Phil I mean how did that trial go presumably you've got some of the results now did you find that on the whole people struggled to do it or was there positive responses yeah 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 it, it's really interesting your experience there like being able to identify if you're reaching the target or not because that was some of the feedback uh, and actually some of the feedback as well was we were we were giving a credit that was calculated according to what your energy consumption was so actually the more you save the less credit you got which was a kind of a perverse way of doing it doing it but the average saving was only something like 50 pence or so that was the credits that we were giving customers yeah i think mine was 20. yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't about the monetary value it was about actually taking part in it um so i'm looking at the the May 2020 version that we did, I've got some of the statistics here. So uh, there were 50,000 customers that took part in that. There was an additional 71 megawatt hours of electricity consumed over the two bank holiday Mays in uh, bank holiday Mondays in May 2020. Uh, so that was 200% increase on uh, forecast. So it was a huge, you know, in- change that we, we we made there, where the grid actually wanted to curtail excess wind generation in those two events. So it, it just shows, you know. Tens of thousands of customers will will take up these sorts of things, even if their impact is is very small. Um, In the aggregate, it's a really large impact. So I think that kind of begs the question, Phil, from from your perspective, uh, an octopus's perspective more broadly, is where does this lead us? So where where are the limitations around time of use tariffs? And and I think, remember, Becky, in a past episode saying, actually, the 20 pence reward I got was kind of infuriating. If I'd have got nothing, I'd have probably felt better about (laughs) it. You know, even just a kind of a gold star or, you know, a sort of virtual pat on the back. Oh, I would have liked that, a gold star or a a pink octopus. I'll take one of those pink octopuses. There it is. (laughs) But yeah, a pink octopus, there you go. Um, But I think the, the point being is, you know, where, how far do these monetary incentives around shifting our demand getters and then where's where do we hit a brick wall and what what's the next step for 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 yourselves yeah yeah yeah. actually you can look at some of the other tariffs that we've got so the the tesla tariff is a good example because you've either got that kind of go or uh the agile tariff where you're trying to watch what the tariff is doing or we take control of things and you don't worry about it because the rate that you're going to pay is the same all the way through so the the tesla tariff is running at about 11 or 12 pence per kilowatt hour on the import side. And because it's connected to the Tesla Powerwall, it also pays 11 to 12 pence um, export. I say 11 to 12 because it varies according to the GSPs, the regions across the country. It's a regional tariff. Um, now that is obviously much lower 
then our current tariffs are around about 25, 28 pence. Uh, and that is because between us and Tesla, we're able to use that Powerwall battery to soak up cheap wholesale energy overnight and cheap periods through the day when the wind is high and so on early mornings and things. And then also export ex extra energy back out to the grid from the Powerwall, uh, particularly during the peak period of four to seven, or just simply supply the home so it's not drawing from the grid. So that's the kind of a full managed service. The, the other tariff we've launched recently in the last six months or so is Intelligent Octopus. Uh, that one's connecting to Tesla cars and a few other cars and uh, EV chargers coming up as well. It's got a similar Go type tariff, um, seven and a half pence for a six hour time period overnight. And then the same flat rate for the rest of the day. And that, you, as a customer, you said, I need my car charged by 8am to 70% and then we take care of the rest. Um, we've also done power loop where we, we discharge the car as well. So the, the, as, as a much larger battery than a Powerwall, you know, a car's got 30, 40, 50 kilowatt hour plus size battery, whereas a Powerwall is typically 10. So that's that's a vehicle to grid where mm. you're, you're drawing in power to charge it, but also pushing power out from that electric vehicle back into the grid. That's it. Yep. But I want to touch on that first one you were talking about with the battery. And this is where I get quite excited with my local zero hat on. So I think the, the conversation we've been having so far is very much been focused on, you know, me in my home or my not not just me, you know, anyone in their home and their household and what what you can do as an individual household. But a lot of the power often in the transition we're seeing to, towards net zero is around what people can do when they come together, when we start to see households working together or communities working together. And I know that, you know, for a lot of um, for a lot of communities, it might be that you, you people don't have these individual batteries, but maybe they join together and they've got some sort of community asset or working together as a community, they, they can achieve more. And Sarah, I'm wondering if there's any sort of reflections you've got here from from the work that you've been doing um in the prospering from the energy revolution program where i know you are seeing a lot more of this kind of community level engagement and people working together to change um to change things or to use their assets in different ways it, yeah that's it's a very interesting point um certainly anecdotally our local network operator they had a call recently from a village in oxfordshire saying we're getting brownouts and the um, DNO hadn't been aware of this because they didn't have enough local visibility, really, of what was going on. But it was because in this small area on this substation, they'd recently installed um, a lot of heat pumps in the homes. So the pattern of demand had changed quite a lot and, and the pressures on that substation. So it can be that, you know, as a community, you need to pull together and manage your demand better just so that the system can cope locally without having to dig up the roads and put in a whole lot more wires um, to deal with a changing pattern of demand. Or on the other hand, if, if you get a, a locality where people put in a lot of solar PV, you get the opposite sort of issue with the pressure on the substations. So we're starting to have that sort of awareness now. As well as, of course, you know the 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 uh, the other sort of things that bring people together as communities when they have environmental groups and then they start getting into energy and they want to do something collectively. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's something in this, isn't there? If you're looking to kind of balance the grid, maximise the efficacy of that grid and, and its cost effectiveness, um, it, it's easier to manage one unit of a thousand customers versus a thousand Households, mm. thousand customers. So, so Phil, are you kind of looking at, at this and thinking, you know, as, as Octopus, how do we? It's all well and good having a thousand customers on these these dynamic tariffs and mm. and hoping to kind of cajole and nudge and incentivize them in a certain way. 
have you thought about aggregating these and connecting them together so they act as a kind of a, as a homogenous group? Because that's easier to, to manage, in theory. Yes. I mean, just just one point on that with the with the with the DNO. There is a, a process with the DNOs, the G ninety nine and G ninety eight notification process. So that whenever a heat pump is installed or a solar system is installed, the, the installers are supposed to notify the DNO so they can check that the grid can cope with it and if they need any reinforcement or not. That process actually becomes mandatory for solar if somebody wants to get an export tariff from us because the the DNO allocates the export MPAN, which is the, the identity against which we credit for the um, for the energy that's exported. So that the, the DNO should be aware that heat pump installs are going in and that solar's mm-hmm. going in to be able to cope with those kinds of issues. So, so, so d- d- fail, sorry, uh, acronym DNO, uh, Distribution Network Operator. So that okay. they're, they're the companies that manage our, our sort of low voltage that's it. networks. That's the local cable connection. We start from the meter side of things. And that's all, that's all about visibility on the network, right? What you're talking about is it's all well and good, you know, Sarah said, and my response there is about aggregating and managing mm. demand and generation. But, but at present, my understanding of this is that these DNOs, these distribution network operators, don't really know a great deal about what's on that network. So they don't even they don't have a great idea about what companies like you ought to be trying to manage. No, no, there's not much monitoring at the um, substation level or the feeder level, the individual wires that come out to, to run down the streets. So they are a little bit in the dark as to what the grid is doing, which is why then those sorts of issues do occur. So going back to the point on aggregation, so... Another smart tariff for you, Becky, is the fan club Mm. tariff. So that's one where we've kind of looked at ways in which groups of consumers can benefit from local um, generation. So uh, there's only two wind turbines at the moment that have fan clubs. I'll tell you the names. Uh, Do you have people in the company that are just there to create names and like really, really good names for your tariff? Look him up. What do you you think the little pink fluffy octopus does? There's a chap chap called Peter Miller, who's one of the co-founders, and he comes up with all these names of uh, products and things. He's a a genius at at that side of things. It's a brilliant name. It's it's an inspired name for for it. So customers that are a member of the the fan club, there's one in uh, South Wales and one in North Yorkshire. If they live within the postcode of those two wind turbines that we own, then they can see the almost real-time data. It's updated every 30 seconds on an app that we've created. So they can see how well that wind turbine is turning. Um, So the rotor speed, the wind speed, the uh, kilowatt hours or kilowatts of uh, generation that's coming out of it. Um, we even calculated and show as a real-time metric how fast you would be moving if you're sat on the tip of the wind turbine. <laughs> um, can and, they and see so, the wind turbine from where they are? Can they actually physically see it? Yeah, some of them can. Some can. Some are hidden on the other side of the hill, so can't quite see it. But yes, often they can see it. See I, I, I feel that the system, but this goes back to Becky's earlier point, is that I think for the average customer, they're like, all right, well, that's all well and good. I don't really understand it, but it sounds good for me. It's about converting system benefits. And the system benefit here is if you're consuming power locally to where it's generated mm. there are fewer distribution losses that means that there's less power being lost yep. in those pipes and wires or wires in this case and so the less loss benefit and the benefit what your octopus is doing very well in my opinion is making that benefit tangible to the customer yep. in terms of it's on their bill is, is that a fair synopsis yes, yes but the grid doesn't really allow for it from a billing point of view we can't buy that energy at a local rate it's it's like um, I liken it to the tube network. You buy a ticket, uh, a zone one ticket or a zone six ticket, and there's a different price. But actually, there's no difference in price for 
electricity generated from the wind turbine a mile away or from the nuclear power station 50 miles away. There's no difference. The distribution and transportation costs are homogenous and equal across the entire grid. Uh, so we, we can't, we, we, we're demonstrating that customers will engage in this sort of tariff and at the same time we can reduce the burden on the grid by doing it. But it still needs change in the way things are built for it to properly work. So Phil, just a question I'd like to pop to you while we're here. Um, are, are Octopus thinking about doing any direct load control with heat pumps yet? Uh, yes. Uh, so in our research centre in Slough, uh, we are doing all sorts of research and investigation to what we can do with, with heat pumps and things and uh, inventing technology and things there. And in fact, if you look on Twitter, you'll see one of the devices we launched recently is a, a CAD, a consumer access device, CAD. It's the equivalent of an IHD, but it streams the smart meter data every 10 seconds up to our mobile app. So you can see in real time what's actually going on in the home. There's two kilowatt load, three kilowatt load or whatever. So I can see when the heat pump comes on and off and so on. And one really interesting example, I was working from home one afternoon. My wife was ironing the school children's um, clothes for the next day. And I was watching the data and I was getting these spikes of uh, three kilowatts for about 15, 20 seconds. And then it would stop for 30 seconds. And then I get another spike of three kilowatts for 20 seconds or so. And then I realized, of course, what I was watching there, those spikes, was the iron clicking on and off. So when you do your ironing, you see the orange light flickering on and it, it has a really high load, like a kettle, it's two or three kilowatts, but it only lasts for about 10, 15 seconds. Now, if you look at half hour data that we get from smart meters, you would never see that. But when you see it in real time and you see those spikes graphed out, because an IHD, you would still see the three kilowatt load, but you would never and an see IHD, it graph. Just, just you're going to have to do the acronym. Ah. In, that's the in-home display. So that's the device that all smart meter customers get today. And it just has a basic little dial that shows you're currently consuming three kilowatts or one kilowatt or whatever. So you'd see the dial move, but if, if you're watching it, but when we graph that over, say five minutes and you see those spikes every 30 seconds, then it's much more real tangible and easier to try and figure out what's going on. Matt, did you get one of those when you got your smart meter? I've got my IHD, <laughs> my in-home display unit. Is it powered up or is it in the drawer? Is it prominently in the kitchen? It's behind a picture frame <laughs> oh. <laughs> on the bureau. I can see it, but my wife can't, which is the key. It's not an eyesore, but it is imparting the information I require. Well, this is one of the next devices because you get it in the app, you get your data. It's not just because that's just like a, almost a fire and forget. You see the data and it's gone a moment later and when it next updates. Oh, well, that's it. And it's all about, yeah, I mean, th that's the difference between a kind of a rev counter or, you know, a speedometer on your car and actually charting that over time. They're, they're the same data, but presented differently, which is has a, imparts a completely different message. Um, and in fact, just as you're saying that, Phil, I'm checking my uh, octopus charge and looked at, I can tell you the moment my mum and dad were here and they, they left because the EV charge just stops and <laughs> stop bleeding yeah. money, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's how we engage customers. It's the data. It's making that visible and presentable and uh, making use of it, making value out of it. But I think there's something else in all of this. And I'm going to reflect back, Sarah, to something that you wrote a very, very long time ago. And actually, it's one of the things that inspired me with a lot of my work. And you wrote, in this case, back to work on feedback and just the very nature of sort of seeing um, and engaging with that. So that's why I asked if people, if the customers can actually see the wind turbine. So, you know, if it's there in front of you, you, you it has an impact on the decisions that you make and the way you actually engage with it. And I think for, for many of us, energy has become very invisible. 
you know, it just, we flick the light switch on and it turns on. And certainly living in Scotland now, so when I moved from London to Glasgow, I became so much more aware of the generation side of things because you can't, I mean, everywhere I look, I see a wind turbine. Where, I mean, maybe that's just exactly, you know, the, where I live now, but looking out my window now, I can see it's just a lone wind turbine. There's just one. It doesn't always turn, but I can see it, right? And it really connects me to the concept. And I don't even of know which one you're talking about. I mean, that's how connected it is. I actually know which one you're talking about. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, is, is there something in all of this? You know, it's not just about the cost or the shift in the bill. There's something inherent important here for people around that connection to energy or to the generation or to the locality I, yeah I, I think there absolutely is and and so on the one hand we've got more renewables about now so when the sun shines you think oh yes you know the panels on your roof or your neighbors oh yes they'll be generating now and yes as you say when when the wind blows you know what's going on there um, and I, I think there's that sort of awareness and also it, because of displays and because of more informative bills and so on, people are, I think, gradually getting, it, it's becoming less abstract and less taken for granted. Um, and then just recently, of course, you know, with these big price hikes, people are having to think, a lot of people are having to think about their energy use in a way they've never had to before. It's become really pressing. Past performance is always a great indicator or should be a great indicator of what the future might hold. And we've gone through a, a number of quite disruptive periods around energy consumption. I would just to name the two biggest ones, COVID and the energy crisis. Um, but you could also argue climate action and that, and that growing agenda. But looking at the last sort of 18 months, is there anything there about how the general population had to amend their energy consumption or change it, whether it's about cost pressures due to the energy crisis or wider kind of regulatory lifestyle uh, impositions from, from COVID that teaches us anything about what the next few years holds. Like, is this, are we match fit to start adapting our, our demand for net zero? Or, or, do, or do we need to focus less on the kind of technology solutions, market solutions, and focus a little bit more on, on the people aspect of this? That's a really good question, actually. I mean, as well as, I mean, gas prices have gone up higher than electricity. So we're all kind of much, much more aware of the gas costs when it comes to heating and hot water. Um, but fuel, um, filling your car up, I, we've got one electric and one diesel. And I noticed the price of diesel just hit two pounds um, the other day. And that's expensive to, to fill up the car. So that drives the change to EVs. I think the tariffs that we're doing are you know, they're going to work for people who've got EVs to charge them. You know, it's, you're charging a car at a, what was it, a tenth or a fifth of the cost of filling it up with um, petrol or diesel if you'd made that transition to an electric car. So that is going to really drive the growth of electric vehicle take-up, which means we will be consuming more energy, which means we need a grid and renewable generation sources to be able to cope with that. Same with, with the heat pumps. You know, the, the government's got the grants out there, whether it's salary sacrifice or electric vehicle, so if you're a high-rate taxpayer, that's as much as 40% saving on the lease of an electric vehicle. And the heat pump um, scheme that's out there, £5,000 grant towards the cost of your heat pump install. With the research centre that we've got in Slough and the training we're doing with engineers, we're going kind of turning the heat pump industry from a, a cottage industry of 20 or 30,000 a year to the government's target of 600,000 a year by 2028. That scale will bring down the cost. So we, we're getting the cost down to the kind of 
£6,500-ish level, which with the £5,000 grant gets you to close to the cost of uh, a gas boiler replacement. Um, and if that saves you energy because you're, you're no longer paying for gas and it's a generator, that, that three and a half um, performance factor, coefficient of performance, uh, I think we'll see that growth in, in the heat pumps. But I think people are becoming much, much more aware that the energy wholesale market says, shows there's a lot of awareness of how energy is being generated and how we're consuming it and how we've been more efficient. And both electric vehicles and heat pumps are a really, really good way of being more efficient with energy. And Sarah, the final word. Yes, uh, in terms of match fit, um, I think if we're looking at this as a couch to 5K sort of process, we're off the couch now, but we're quite a long way from the 5K. So we're making a start, all right, and the, the awareness is growing all the time and there is some training going on, starting to do some serious training for getting heat pumps into homes and I think that's going to be the biggest single thing that people are going to be seeing as, as a change over the next decade or so. It'll be changing the way we're heating. So yes, from the people point of view, we're off the couch all right. I think from the system point of view at the other end, that, that still needs quite a lot of thinking about. So yes, getting the whole system geared up towards electric heating and also towards low carbon transport and not just thinking, let's get everyone into EVs, um, especially if those EVs are heavy EVs, you know, they're big ones, but think more about electric bikes, accessible services and good bus services, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a brilliant point and I love the couch to 5k analogy and it reminds me that I probably need to go for a run and get my fitness levels back, especially if I'm going to be trying to doing a lot more active transport this uh, this summer. But no, this has been a really amazing discussion and uh, I feel like we've touched on a whole lot of very interesting concepts and you've both in that closing opened up an avenue um, more discussion that I, I suspect Matt and I will need to explore in future episodes and, and of course we'd love to have you both back at some point in the future if, if we can and we can get onto it but thank you so much it was really really brilliant discussion I guess all that's left to say is, is thank you to everyone that's been listening. You have been listening to Local Zero uh, with Matt and Becky. Thanks again to our guests for this episode, Sarah Darby and Philip Steele. And a reminder, if you haven't already, please go find and follow us at Local Zero Pod on Twitter to get involved with the discussions going on over there. Um, if like me, you struggle to constrain your thoughts to a limited number of characters, do email us localzeropod at gmail.com to share some of those longer thoughts and if you are enjoying local zero which we really hope you are please 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 leave us a review make it a five star if you can that will help us get out there further climb the charts and really work harder on driving the local energy revolution uh, but for now until next time thank you and goodbye thanks bye-bye bye thanks so much bye Produced by the Spoken Media.